Coach Lynn, and <clears throat> thank you, praise team. It's always a wonderful blessing to be under your <clears throat> ministry and your leadership to us every Sunday morning. We don't take it for granted. We look forward to it, and thank you so very, very much. Uh, sometimes when I meet new people who ask me about Bethel Baptist Church, I will say to them something like this. We are a Baptist church. But we are not Baptists with a capital B. And what I mean by that is we believe a couple of things in the Bible that are in common with what other Baptist churches believe. But that is not our main message. And our main message here at Bethel is involved in this very question. How do I get right with God. If we're not right with God in the first place, then anything else we do will not matter. Isn't that right? That's absolutely right. And if we do not teach people how to get right with God as a matter of first order, then anything else that we teach here at Bethel will be unhelpful at best, and actually at worst, misleading. And you know what? If we're wrong on this fundamental question... Would you agree with me it's better to go find another church? I mean, that's, that's true. If we are wrong on how do I get right with God, then it is far better to go to another church. This is that important. And so the question for us this morning is, how do I get right with God? And we are coming to probably one of the clearest passages in all the Bible in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31, that makes this so very clear. Would you take your Bibles and turn there? If you'd like to use the chair Bible in front of you, Romans is about the sixth book in the New Testament. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. And we'll be looking together at the final section in this chapter, verses 21 to 31. Let's just take a moment and pray together. Lord God, this question is at the very heart of our church. It's the one thing we must be absolutely clear on. And if we're not helping people get right with you, then anything else that we do ultimately is a waste of their time and a waste of our time. And so thank you for the heritage of Bethel over so many years, making this the central message of our church. And help us now to see it clearly from your word. And speak to hearts, speak to anyone today who is not right with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want you to notice, to begin with, the first answer to this question is, there's nothing we can do. Now look with me at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Now, when we put this answer up on the screen here this morning, it's probably an answer that many of us would not have expected. In fact, it might even shock us. Uh, I will never forget years ago, I went to the hospital to pray with a woman who was having surgery, and she was concerned that she might not survive the surgery. And when I entered the room, you could just see the worry all over her face. And her concern was, if she died, what then? And this is what she said to me. Looked right at me as she lay there on the bed. She said, I think I'll go to heaven. I've been a pretty good person. And isn't that what we often think? But, of course, what's the next question? How good is pretty good, right? Isn't that the question? And she didn't know. The worry on her face when she said to me, I've been a pretty good person, it was clear she had no peace about eternity, or she would not have said, I think I'll go to heaven. Now, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says very clearly here, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. When he says in verse 21, the righteousness of God has now been revealed, that expression, the righteousness of God, means God's way of making us right with Himself. It is the way in which people may attain a state that is approved by God. We would say it means being accepted by God. And clearly the Bible says here, it is not by what we do. When it says apart from the law, the law there is a reference to the rules, regulations, and commands of God that we find in His Word. I remember uh, many years ago, uh, a lady said this to me. She said, my mother taught me to live by the golden rule, and that's how I try to live. Now, the golden rule is taught in the Bible, isn't it? In fact, the golden rule is a summary of all the rules of our behavior towards one another. Jesus summarized all of them in the golden rule. Should we try to live according to the golden rule? Well, of course, we all should. And this lady said she was trying. But, this says, we don't live according to the golden rule to try to earn acceptance with God. And the reason is, we all have a problem. And that problem is found in verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What that is saying is none of us have lived up to the golden rule. What did that lady say to me many years ago? I have tried. I have tried. Say, you know what? I've tried too. If I asked you, have you tried? Many of you would say, yes, I've tried too. But the Bible here says, all of our trying has fallen short. Now when it describes God's glory, that's God's standard. 
God's glory is a summary of all of His perfections, with His, which is His standard for us, and none of us have lived up to that standard by trying. It's interesting, the phrase, fall short, is very interesting. It has two meanings. Number one, fall short here of the glory of God, the word means to be late. It means to be late. Uh, all of us can remember uh, from childhood what happened when you were late to the bus stop. Anybody here late for the bus as a child? One honest person down here. <laughs> all right. Well, we all know somebody who was late at the bus stop. And you know what happened? If you came late to the bus stop, you missed the bus and you were left behind. You know what God is saying to us? God is saying to us we're too late. Because all of us have sinned, it is too late for us to depend upon trying our best. And then the reason that we are too late is the second meaning of this phrase, fall short. And it literally means not to measure up to a standard. So none of us meets God's holy standard. So now put these two meanings of the word fall short together, be late and fall short. It's too late for trying our best to get right with God because all of us have sinned and we fall short. And so there has to be another way. And according to the Bible, there is another way. Notice in verse 24... It tells us that God's way is a gift. God's way is a gift. It is by His grace as a gift. Now, gift here is exactly what it says. It means freely, without charge. In other words, God has to give us His approval. You know, this little word gift is found in some very important verses throughout the Bible. Romans 6.23 says, The gift of God is eternal life. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and then not of yourselves. It's not a result of your trying. It is the gift of God. And then remember when Jesus in John 4 Uh, meets this very sinful woman at the well. And they have a conversation. And he says to her, if you understood the gift of God, and who it is who is speaking to you, you would ask me, says Jesus, and I would give you living water. And now here we find the word gift again, God's acceptance, God's approval. Having a right standing with Him is a gift that He has to give us. Uh, A lot of times when I illustrate this, I like to pull out my car keys. And a number of years ago, a friend of mine called me on the phone and he said, "Uh, Pastor, He said, I have a car that I would like to give to you if uh, you're interested. It was a 1993 classic Cadillac in mint condition. And he invited Ellen and me over to his house and he said, you can take it for a ride. And he said, if you like the vehicle, you can have it. 
Now, the first thing I had to do was to change my mind about pastors who drive Cadillacs. That was a very hard decision. It was so hard, it took me about five minutes to make the decision. And after we test drove it, we got back and we said, well, it's hard for us to accept it, but we, we like it. He said, it's yours. Well, he said to me, it needs a new thermostat. And so he said, I want you to take it to your shop, have the thermostat replaced, and then you bring me the bill and I'll pay for it. The thermostat replacement, maybe 50-some dollars. Well, they discovered it had been sitting so long that it also needed a radiator flush. So the whole bill came to $300. So I called him and I said, look, you just pay for the thermostat and I'll pay for the flush. And I said, that'll be fine. So he said, meet me at my work. When I arrived at his work... He handed me three $100 bills. He said, I'm not going to give you a car that you have to go out and fix right away. And he paid for the whole thing. Now, I can't leave you in suspense this morning. I can't do that. So there it is. There it is. That was a completely, absolutely free Cadillac with no charge, including the repairs. Now think about this. This is what the Bible says is how we get right with God. God makes us right with Himself freely without charge. And there are questions that go off in our mind. How can this be? You mean to tell me my trying won't do it? God has to give it to me? How in the world can God do that? And it's the second answer to this question. Look secondly at what the Bible says in answer to this question. How does a person get right with God? God has already done it for us. Look at verse 24 again. And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now look at what this is saying. Everything that we need for God to accept us, He has already done So it is not due, but it is done. A man went up to a pastor one day, and this is what he said to him, I always thought that God was a hard God, and we must do something to appease Him. Is that the way you've ever thought about God? God is a hard God. 
And we have to do something to appease Him. Maybe you thought that way. I have to work really hard. I have to try my very best to appease God. And then God will accept me. But here's the message of the Bible. No matter how hard you work, you cannot appease God. You have sinned too much. And therefore, God must do it for you. Now, as we read these three verses, there are three very big words that sometimes when we read them, our eyes kind of glaze over and we say, my goodness, what do these words mean? Redemption, propitiation, and justified. I can see I'm losing you already with those three words. Do you know when the Romans read those words in verses 24 to 26 that we read just a moment earlier? They understood immediately what those three big words meant because they were familiar with them. In fact, the Romans saw those words not as abstract concepts, which we often do. We see redemption, propitiation, justification. We think of these abstract concepts. They tend to go over our head. But the Romans saw them in pictures. And here are the pictures that they saw. Propitiation was slave language. Redemption was temple language, particularly the Ark of the Covenant and the Day of Atonement. And then justification was law court language. And so the Romans, they were very familiar with all three of these. They saw these pictures in their minds. And so these pictures made a great deal of sense to them. You know what these pictures are? You know what these events are? They're at the very heart of what Jesus did for us in His death and resurrection. Let me put them together this morning in a little diagram that I discovered uh, earlier this week that are very, very helpful. If you look at this, you will notice that redemption is what Christ has done for believing sinners. Hopefully that's you and me. Propitiation is what Christ has done towards God the Father. And then justification is what God the Father does for believing sinners. And when you see this, what you begin to see is what God has done for us in Christ that only He could do that could lead to us being right with Him. Let's look at them for just a couple of moments, shall we? All right. Notice the word redemption. That salvation is a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 24. Redemption was a word that meant release from slavery by the payment of a ransom price. There were vast numbers of slaves in the Roman Empire. And here's what Romans knew. Romans knew that if a slave could save up enough money over many years... He could pay his master for his freedom. And that payment was the ransom price. Now remember what Jesus said? He said, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. John 8.34 
All of us have committed sin. Therefore, we are under the penalty and the power of sin. We cannot pay. But then Jesus said in John 8.36, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And Jesus, by His perfect life, His death and His resurrection, paid the ransom. And now we can be set free from the penalty that we owed and the bondage of our sin can be broken so that in the words of Jesus, if the Son sets you free, if He redeems you, you are free indeed. And then propitiation. What Christ did on Good Friday for God the Father That word means that Jesus satisfied God's wrath against sin, so God is appeased toward us. Do you know what the word propitiation actually means? It means mercy seat. Mercy seat. And you know the covering over the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies was called the mercy seat. There were two golden cherubim whose wings were spread over the mercy seat. And you know the cherubim in the Bible, every single day cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that image of the cherubim with their wings over the mercy seat indicates the angels protecting the holiness of God who cannot accept sinners. But once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the blood of a sacrificial animal And he would sprinkle it on that mercy seat behind the curtain. The sacrificial blood of that animal would cover the sins of Israel and God would be satisfied for one more year. But when Jesus came, He put away sin once for all by the sacrifice of Himself. He satisfied forever God's wrath against sin. God's anger towards our sin was turned away. And think about what this means. God is not angry at you or me. God is not angry at you or me. Because His wrath was poured out upon Jesus. And because that happened, now number three... God the Father is able to justify believing sinners. And you will notice this said twice. Once in verse 24, we are justified by His grace as a gift. And then it says at the end of verse 26 that God is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What is justification? Justification means this. God gives us a right standing with Himself and declares us not guilty in His sight, though we are guilty because of what Christ has done. You see, God accepts us, not because we try hard enough, because we could never try hard enough, but because Jesus paid our debt. By the way, did you notice how many times the Bible says God is righteous and just in doing this? Did you notice that? He was just in passing over the sins of Israel every year on the Day of Atonement, Because of what he knew Christ was going to do. Look again at verse 25. 
This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. And then He is just in forgiving us our sins today for all time and making us His children because what Christ did on that Good Friday. That's verse 26. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just. Let me ask you this morning. There's a word in this passage that describes this. It's one word. And it is the word that tells us what God has done in doing all of this. Would you read the word with me? Let's say it together. Ready? Grace. Grace. Did you see that? Verse 24. Justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. If someone were to ever come to you and say, you know, you Christians are always talking about grace. Can you tell me what grace means? Here's what grace means. Christ, by His death and resurrection, paid the ransom price we could not pay and bought us back from the penalty and slavery of sin. He was able to do that because He satisfied the wrath of God by His righteous life and perfect offering on the day that He died. And because of that, even though we are still sinners who can never measure up to all God expects, God now accepts us as though we were righteous. He declares us not guilty and He forgives us. That's what grace is. Can I hear an amen this morning? Amen. 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 God's riches at Christ's expense. Now then, there's only one thing for us then that is left to do, isn't there? And that is the last answer to the question. We must receive it by personal trust in a personal Savior. Look at verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of a law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the uncircumcised by faith and the circumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Would you notice two very important things? There's only one way. Only one way. Verse 30 tells us that God is one. Because there's one God, God has one plan of salvation, and this is His plan of salvation. We either come this way, or there's no other way. And then I want you to notice, this right relationship with God is received by faith. 
If you count down from verse 25 to verse 31, you will find the word faith seven times. Seven times. You'll find believe once. So eight times in the space of ten verses, we are told that this right relationship comes about by faith in Christ and what He has done for us. Many years ago, a friend of mine said to me, I often wonder what the Bible meant by faith. And he said it seemed to elude me. And then he said one day I was listening to a sermon by Theodore Epp, who was the founder of Back to the Bible radio broadcast. And he said Theodore Epp stood up in the pulpit and he said, Now, this morning, before I uh, preach this message, I want to give you a simple definition of faith. And this is what he said, Faith is personal trust in a personal Savior. And my friend said, that's it. That's it. Faith is personal trust in a personal Savior. Faith occurs when we make it personal. When it stops being theoretical. Faith occurs when it goes from being in our heads to being in our hearts. Faith happens when we personally trust Jesus, not as a Savior, but as my Savior. And the moment by faith it becomes personal. And we commit our hearts to Him for what He can only do. Saving faith occurs. And Christ becomes our Lord and our Savior. This is the main message of our church. How does a person get right with God? Well, there's nothing we can do. God has already done it for us, but we must receive it by personal trust in a personal Savior. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Just before we gather around the Lord's table, I will give you a chance to do that even this very morning. But first, I want to tell you uh, something that happened in the life of this man whom we all know. Isn't it amazing? It's already been over a year since Billy Graham died at 99 years of age. And we all know him. Years ago, he was traveling in the South. This was a long, long time ago. And he got caught for speeding. So I don't feel so bad now when that's happened to me. But he admitted his guilt to the officer. I was, I was speeding. Yes, it happened. And you know what the officer said to him? Uh, in those days, you, you had to go to uh, traffic court. And he said, you're going to have to appear in traffic court. So he stood before the judge. And the judge said to Billy Graham, not knowing who he was, guilty or not guilty. And Billy Graham said, I'm guilty. And the judge said, all right. I'll tell you how long ago it was. He said, that'll be $10. $1 for every mile you went over the speed limit. And then the judge recognized, this is Billy Graham. It dawned on him. And he said to Billy Graham, you violated the law, and the fine must be paid but I'm going to pay it for you. The judge reached into his pocket, 
took out a $10 bill, attached it to the ticket, and then took Billy Graham out for a steak dinner. And you know what Billy Graham said as a result of that? That is how God treats repentant sinners. That is how God treats repentant sinners. Now suppose Billy Graham said, no, I, I, I don't, you can't do that for me. I want to pay my own ticket. How many think that would be a foolish response? How foolish for you and me to say, no, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do what I can and reject what God has done. What a foolish mistake. Come to Jesus today. Put personal trust in a personal Savior. Let's pray together. This morning, I don't want anyone in the sound of my voice to remain lost. And I do not want anyone here today to misunderstand the message of our church. We are not here as a church to tell people, try harder. And maybe someday you'll be pretty good and God will accept you. That will never happen. And God has already done what is necessary for you and for me to be accepted by Him. That's what His grace is all about. And the one thing He calls upon you to do is now to put your personal trust in a personal Savior and what He's done for you. If you have any doubt about that, I did as a teenage boy. I had lots of doubt about that. You can settle that with the Lord today. You can settle it with Him today. You can just say in your heart, no one hearing your unspoken words, Lord, I'm a sinner. I try, but I know my trying is never good enough with you. And I believe everything the Bible says about Jesus. That He's God in human flesh. He went to the cross. He paid the ransom price for me when He died. He satisfied the wrath of God. I thank You, God, that You've been appeased. Your anger has been turned away from me. And now You can accept me as Your child based upon what Christ has done. Thank You for Your grace, O oh God. And then you can say, Lord Jesus, I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own way. 
And I'm turning to you in personal trust. Come into my heart and be my Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord. Forgive me of all of my sins, even the ones that will yet come. Give me eternal life, which you said is a free gift. And this very day, make me a child of God. And now, because you've been so wonderful to me, I want to live for you. I know I won't do it perfectly, but my heart's desire is to follow you and to love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you can say, for saving me. Father, thank you today that the Holy Spirit is here. And thank you that He can take the things of Christ and show them unto us. And whether we've known this for a long time or whether it's new to us, it's music to our ears. It rejoices our heart. It causes us to have that wonderful joy that is full of glory that the Bible talks about. And I pray today that you'll bring men, women, boys and girls to yourself. I pray that if there's any doubt today that they will come to that place of personal trust in a personal Savior and have the wonderful assurance that you have taken away their sin, even their sin, and set them free and made them children of God. How we love you and Thank you today. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name.